Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now serve as a family caregiver. Are you one of them? If so, you're in the right place. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And this program is designed to help you stay strong and healthy as you care for someone who is not. If you want to be a part of the program, if you got some thoughts, you got some comments, you got a, something you want to talk about, go to hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form there you can fill out, and we'd love to hear from you. And we try to answer those, either calling you or calling you for the program, if you wish us to, or uh, addressing the topic on the program or sending you an email back. Whatever's on your heart, we'd love to hear from you. And while you're also online, go to our Facebook group, Hope for the Caregiver. We have a Facebook page. You can like that, Hope for the Caregiver. And then we have a private Facebook group, Hope for the Caregiver. We'd love for you to be a part of it. I post a lot of different special things in there. It's designed, again, just to be kind of a quiet place for caregivers to come, share some things, prayer requests, get some information. And I post stuff from the book. Uh, I post stuff from music. or even did a live video the other day of me looking at cows. Out here, it was kind of peaceful, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll share that with some folks there in the Facebook group. So that's out at our Facebook group at Hope for the Caregiver. Um, so take the, take a look at that today. If I sound a little bit froggy today, that's only because I've been out doing stuff in the yard and that time of year. You know how it is. I want to talk to you about something that has been on my mind for a while, and I want to go way back to my first experience as a caregiver. For my wife. This is back in 1986. What were you doing in 1986? Well, I was just a young man, and I was going through the first surgery with Gracie. It was her 22nd that I could best count with, and my first with her. I was 22. And they were trying to save her right ankle. Uh, Both of her legs were crushed in the wreck, and the right ankle was particularly mangled. And they were trying to save it. And they did this fusion surgery. She had several of those things that were very painful, and it just it was awful. And and a lot of the things she deals with today is because she tried to save that right ankle. It would have served her better to be amputated a long time prior than it was, but you don't know the pain you're saved from. You only know the pain you have. And, and as a young woman, she wasn't ready to have that taken from her. So medicine's changed a lot, and so has prosthetics, and she'd be the first to tell you that. But at the time, she was going through this surgery and, you know, hoped, you know, was was all in our minds that this was going to give her some relief and, and be helpful to her. The surgery was successful. It accomplished what it needed to accomplish as far as fusing it and ultimately did not give her the relief she needed, and she was not able to save her leg, but... But he came out after the surgery and said, look, um, she did great. We did, everything went according to plan. You can't see her for a while, so why don't you take a break? So I was there with Gracie's family, some of my extended family, and then some relatives of that individual that was not related to me, and then some friends and so forth. Well, following doctor's orders, he said, take a break. I did the unthinkable. I I went to a movie. I just wanted to take a break. Well, I later learned from a friend that was there, said, look, pulled me aside, said, you need to know what was going on while you were gone. 
And there was a lot of clutched pearls, <laughs> as best could be described, and tongue clucking that occurred while I was in the theater just taking a break. And one of them was a, um, how do I describe this person? Um, they used to call them holy rollers, but this is the kind of person who drives a Cadillac that has, my other car is a Cherry to Fire bumper sticker. All right, do you get the picture of this kind of individual who has a word from the Lord about every three minutes, and it usually involves something that you could do better or that you should have done better? Well, she piled on to Gracie's mother, particularly in her family, and about my inability to care for Gracie. Now, this woman was not a family member of mine or Gracie's. She was a relative of a family member, but not related to Gracie or me, and she wasn't our friend. She was just there. I was stunned, and I didn't, I mean, I was 22. And the embarrassment and shame and disapproval that I felt from that event led to a pattern that lasted for many, many years. It stung, and I didn't know quite how to process it. I did not trust my instincts, and it took a long time for me to do so. And, and it, that pattern was very unfortunate for me. This is something I would like to intercept with my fellow caregivers is to be a better voice on this issue than some of these pearl clutchers that want to run you down and tear you down and tell you how you should have done it. And they even use thus saith the Lord while they do it. Well, I was young and I didn't know how to fight back against that. I didn't know what to do. And it took me a long time to detach from the unsolicited opinions that are often flung by the ill-informed and the inexperienced. And I've got a rule now that I use. You are welcome to use it too if it helps. That rule is I weigh the criticisms of others against how much help they offer. I'm going to say that one more time. I weigh the criticisms of others against the amount of help they provide. And if that's helpful to you, please feel free to use it. That's just a policy that I've implemented in my life. And if they're going to criticize me, they better have some skin in the game. Otherwise, I'm not going to pay attention to them. But I didn't know that at the time. I was 22. Trusting in our instincts as caregivers while detaching from the disapproval of others helps us avoid resentment while allowing clarity of thought. And we caregivers, I think we can all agree, we need to think clearly. We need that clarity of thought. But it's hard to do that when you are filled with resentment. And not just at the others who are criticizing you. The resentment, and see if this bears weight with you, the resentment that can take hold in our own hearts against ourselves for not living up to a standard that someone else puts on us. This is something I've struggled with for a long time. And that affirmation that we seek or that avoidance of disapproval that we, we structure our entire life around serves us poorly as a caregiver. It just does. And we, we can inform ourselves, we can get educated, and we can trust our own instincts. We know 
what we need to do most of the time. Now, I'm not talking about how to solve a problem like a major healthcare issue or a big bill or, or pharmaceutical issues. I'm talking about just our next right action step. We usually know in our heart what the next thing is. And we know that when we need to take a break, we need to take a break. We know this. But we have others that put these um, artificial constraints on us about how we should function in this journey. Or we put them on ourselves based on a pattern of listening to the disapproval of others, based on a pattern of not listening to our own hearts. And so that's what happened that day, and I'll, I'll never forget that. And I've, uh, it was a, that was the very first caregiving experience that I had with my wife. And it took a long time to undo that. So I want to say to you as my fellow caregivers, you know, it's okay to go for a, a drive, watch a movie, Take a walk, take a break. But by all means, by all means, keep firm boundaries with those pearl clutchers. Okay? It's a great description in it, pearl clutchers. <laughs> keep great boundaries from them. And I'm going to leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. None are more unjust in their judgments of others than those who have a high opinion of themselves. None are more unjust in their judgment of others than those who have a high opinion of themselves. I bet that resonates with a lot of you. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of in his image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit InHisImage.movie. Hi, I'm John Sorensen, president of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. As we close out this week spotlighting what God is doing in Asia, I wanted to share with you the impact that believers who are being discipled in how to share their faith are having on Asia. In 2021, there were nearly 500 training events in Asia that discipled thousands of believers across this vast continent. There were trainings in China, Japan, Malaysia, Indonesia, Mongolia, Korea, Cambodia, Pakistan, the list could go on and on. And these Christians saw over 2.2 million people give their lives to Jesus Christ. One of the most exciting parts of this is that the believers who are now confident in sharing their faith are continuing to do so. And they're impacting Asia for the glory of God. And you know, we can all do the same where God has placed us right now. So what's keeping you from sharing? For more resources on how you can learn to share your faith, visit sharelife.today.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is my wife, Gracie, from her CD, and I would like to tell you all that she is uh, preparing to get into the studio and start cutting some more now that she's finished with this pretty difficult surgery she's had this year, and I look forward to sharing more of her music with you as it unfolds. I want to um, switch gears for just a little bit here and talk to an individual that I was fascinated by the work they're doing. And in light of what's going on with Roe versus Wade, in light of what's going on with our country, we wanted to, to take a moment and again talk about life. If we don't value life in the womb, uh, outside the womb, at the end of life, uh, special needs children, aging parents, all these kinds of things will all be on the table. And we, we at this network and at our program, everybody here is involved in promoting life. And I'm pleased to introduce you all to a guest that, that I think you're going to love what he has to say. He's from the OPT Institute, OPT, OPT Institute. His name is John Knox. And he, uh, the OPT Institute commissioned a study that was um, uh, com- conducted by George Barna. A lot of you have heard of him. And it looked into uh, adoption, this issue of adoption. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this today, talk about the the needs, the opportunities, the vision, and what uh, we can do as, as believers and how to promote more life choices in, in this um, culture that seems bent on death. And so, uh, John, I'm glad to have you here as, a, uh, as part of the program, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Peter. I am, I'm delighted to be here. Tell me about your background, the Opt Institute. Tell us a little bit more about that. My, my background, I, I spent 40 years in the surety bond business. I was building and selling insurance companies. And, and as I sold my last company, I knew I was finished with with that part, but I also knew from various non-compete periods that I was an ultimate failure at unemployment. Um, I needed to work. I needed <laughs> to do something. And and a minister, my senior pastor at my church, had said said something about you have to be empty to let God fill you up. And so I just took off for a month and and thinking about and looking about what I wanted to do from that point in my life going forward, and uh, I was adopted. And so as I was on that journey of letting him fill me up, it just came to me that adoption is an option. And I knew that I had to do something in the world of adoption. I wanted to go back and take my business skills and put it to work in, 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 the, in the adoption world and see what I could do. And and I was amazed when I got back in and found out on private infant adoption that it, it almost felt like it had died. I mean, there, back when I was adopted, there were there were hundreds of thousands of kids that were adopted. And when I got back into this and found out that there were less than twenty thousand kids a year that were adopted, I I was just I was amazed by it. Uh, uh, the perceptions of adoption were um, uh, were just amazing to me. There, there's what, what's happened is there, there's a lot of kids that get into the foster care system because the state has taken them away from their parents and put them into that system, and that gets 
confused with that just being adoption. I think of adoption as private infant adoption, like I was adopted. And so what what we did is we hired George Barna and, and some other people to do some research. But Barna's is 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 some of the key research to try and find out uh, what's going on with adoption, what are the perceptions in America about adoption and, and why isn't it it a choice? And I think that that it um, uh, he he showed that that what that people today don't know much about adoption. And and there's 30 million women out there today who don't know that if they're going to place a child for adoption, that they get to pick the family. Uh, that, uh, open adoption today is where, is, is where the birth parents have the choice. And they, they get to pick where that child goes and what family it's going to go with. And that message is really missing in our society because too many people think of adoption as being like foster care. Do you feel like um, it's, do you feel like it's not promoted as much because people, uh, what, what did your research show? What, 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 when you got, what surprised you about this study that you guys commissioned when you got the results back and you started looking down at what, what surprised you the most? I guess what surprises the most are the influencers of women. I, I would have thought their friends and the internet and a lot of those would be the biggest influencers. And and it and, and one of the big surprises to me was the influencers are are doctors, the medical profession, uh, counselors, therapists, those types of people. We've raised a whole generation that that looked when in crisis they look to uh, the experts they're looking at who they go to and um, uh, that was that was one of the biggest surprises for me is is looking at the other is the difficulty that women think that they would face that 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 they didn't have a problem with with doing an having an abortion but all of a sudden they had a problem with how could I possibly carry this child for nine months and then place it for adoption. That that was a pain that they felt that they would be so bonded with that child and that would be so terrible. And there's guilt and shame around that. And and it is a difficult, it is a hard thing for, for a woman to do. But I, I think there's a wrong perception. And that's where we've started a campaign that's called I am that kid, and I am that kid are for people like me. It's a place for people to give their voices, and we've got uh, Olympic athletes and, and, and pro athletes and entertainers and different people that are all joining into, into that to lend their voices to how wonderful it is, how, how it's, it's to be placed into a loving family is what is really needed for these kids. And, 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 and those kids aren't going to come back and hate their birth mothers later. They're going to come back with, with like, like most of us have, they come back with, with wonderful joy and excitement about having been adopted and what a wonderful life they've been given and, and knowing this is what God intended for their lives. And, and, and an awful lot of kids that, that have been adopted have been just tremendous successes from presidents of the United States to, to all sorts of things that, that, that they've done with their lives that uh, uh, 
that, that has just been a, a real joy in that regard. Well, as, as we were talking before the program, you know, as believers, that is the, that is the, the identifier for us is that we have been all adopted into God's family through the redemptive work of Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to have an opportunity to, to amplify your voice a little bit more on this because this is so important in a culture that is, it seems, hell-bent on getting rid of anything that is uncomfortable to us or any kind of discomfort. Can you switch gears with me a little bit and talk a little bit about what's going on with particularly Down syndrome and special needs children and families that would rather, uh, you know, a friend of mine has a son who's 40-something years old with Down syndrome. He comes on the program quite often. And one of the things he says is the most dangerous place in the womb for a, uh, the most dangerous place for a child with Down syndrome is in the womb. Uh, Because when you find out that the child's going to have Down syndrome, the thought of bringing this child to full term and then raising this child is over the top. What are some things that you have seen in your journey with this? What are some thoughts that you have on this? I think about that because the Down syndrome kids are are aborted so often that that it um, uh, and and I've had friends that, that. that have Down syndrome kids, and I keep seeing some of these stories in different places where they talk about the gift that that Down syndrome kid has been to their family. You know that that it, one that one that comes to mind is one that had had four kids, and and, and, the, and the fifth one's going to be a Down syndrome, and and they end up, they wonder how are they going to be able to handle this kid. And this kid comes into their lives and and was the most loving of all of them, of, of the whole family. And the whole family's lives got so much richer because of this loving kid. And, and his brothers and sisters, as, as they grew up, couldn't imagine what their life would be like without that kid. And, and it, it just it has enriched them, and he has been so happy. And that whole family has just been so happy that I think that's that's the story of adoption. You mentioned how we were how we're, we're adopted into God's family, and I see that Down syndrome kid adopted into that family, and I think that's what I'm trying to promote with private infant adoption. It's the same thing. I mean, I feel like I got adopted twice. I got adopted by John and Nancy Knotts, who raised me, and I got adopted. Uh, by God, and and I think of these Down syndrome kids as coming into the into these families the same way, and and um, and and very enriching. And and talking with some of the adoption agencies, there there are homes for those kids if the if the if the birth mother uh, wants to place them. Uh, it's harder to place a Down syndrome kid for an adoption agency, but there. Right now, there are 700,000 families that want to adopt an infant and 20,000 a year available. It's such a difference of supply and demand. When you talk to the major adoption agencies, they have at least 40 to 1 on the waiting list. And and so with that kind of availability, there are homes uh, for kids and, and homes for special needs kids. Hmm. 
We're talking with John Knox. He is at the Opt Institute, and their organization is focused and dedicated to leading folks to understand the options available with adoption. I am that kid. It's a great, it's a great uh, initiative you guys have taken. Can you hang around for another segment? I'd like to talk with you a couple more things, John, while I got you. Is that okay? I love to. Thanks. All righty. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. HopeForTheCaregiver.com. We'll be right back. Are you in need of hope, encouragement, and the love of God? I'm Pastor Salem. I'd like to invite you to join us for the Christian Worship Hour. For decades, I've been teaching the Word of God so that people everywhere can experience the love and power of a personal relationship with our Lord. Tune into this station this weekend and prepare to be blessed and encouraged by another life-changing message. Learn more about our program at ChristianWorshipHour.com. Weekday mornings at 8 Central, Pastor Jeff Shreve offers real truth for today. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. The world around us is rapidly changing, but God and His truth will never change. I may be the host of the show, but I want God's Word and His truth to be the star of the show. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve each weekday morning at 8 Central for Real Truth for Today on American Family Radio. This is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson. It's hard to understand why evildoers are allowed to prosper. It's a question that's been asked by every generation of believers. Habakkuk's cry could be our own. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. You can sense the despair in Habakkuk that we also feel when we focus on the deeds of the wicked instead of on the Lord. God answered Habakkuk and gives us the same assurance. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. God is doing a work in our days as well. His story is still unfolding. And while we don't understand the intricacies of the plot, we do know the ending. This is a Decency Minute. I'm Bill Johnson. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. How are you feeling today? How are you hanging in there as you're taking care of an aging loved one, a special needs family member, somebody with trauma, traumatic brain injury, maybe an alcoholic, maybe an addict? How are you dealing with this? And this program is designed to encourage you, strengthen you, give you um, a path to to point you towards safety where you can catch your breath and take a knee if you have to. We also like to educate and illuminate on some things. And I like to bring in subjects that, that just pull at my ear of thinking this is something we need to talk about. And that's why I invited John Knox onto the program today. He is with the Opt Institute, and they're a nonprofit research foundation and a think tank, and they're dedicated to improving access to and support for private infant adoption. Now, adoption is is 
back into the public discourse now even greater than it has been because of what's happened with Roe versus Wade, even though a lot of states aren't going to change their abortion policies and things like in California and, and New York and Massachusetts and Oregon and Washington, all those kinds of places are going to continue doing the same thing they were doing. There are other states that are going to shift towards a more life focus, and we're grateful for that. But in order to do that, we also have to help assist these parents, these mothers who are bringing this child into the world. They feel scared. They feel terrified. And to let them know that there is a path for that child, even if it's a special needs child, even if they know up front it's going to be Down syndrome or some other issues. There are people, as John said in the last segment, who want to take this on, who are willing to do so. And uh, they they got this new study that they commissioned that uh, was, was conducted by George Barna. And it's it's very illuminating on how much people actually know about adoption. What, what, what do you know about this? What happens? Who do you call? What's the first step? And so I thought John's going to be the right guy to bring this information to us. So John, thank you again for being here with us. And as you dig a little deeper, as you, as you alluded to this in the last segment, most women don't really know what their options are for adoption. Is that what your study revealed? It absolutely revealed it. It's like adoption has has kind of gotten lost. It and 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 with what you were talking about with Roe versus Wade and the the dialogue in all the states, whether they're whether they're regardless of the direction they're going, the the conversation is being elevated to where um, it's going to get down to neighbors versus na- neighbors talking to neighbors. About about what it is, and we so need adoption to become part of the dialogue again, to not be lost in the voices that are out there, and and to realize that it really is a positive option. I mean, I, I can I can empathize with these women who who are not in a scenario where where they can provide a good loving home for a newborn child, and so I think that that. Society over the last five decades has gotten to where they they've said it's just an easy solution to go get rid of that to get rid of that problem, if you will, and maybe we can elevate that for them to realize that that we that that adoption and especially with the great availability of, of good families that want to adopt that. It's a very viable option, and it's very different today than it used to be. With open adoption today, they can play. They, the woman gets to be in control. They get to decide what family that that child is going to be raised by. They can decide whether or not they want to have a, an ongoing relationship with that child or not, or what level of, of that that of what they want to have. And it and it's really an option that they that they need to know. It's not talked about in society. It's not even talked about in our churches. It's not promoted in our churches. It's not promoted in our society today to recognize it's a good option. There's a lot of there's a lot of shame and guilt that 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 are out there and and of people thinking that 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 um, uh, that it's not uh, it's not right for them that they don't want to be that birth mother. And then, 
you you see case after case of the of the ones that are placed into that that it's a very positive reaction, and so we need we need people to be able to see that and understand that um, uh, that it is a positive environment. How how is your message being received? We're fairly new at rolling out adoption as an option, and we're getting. It's almost amazing that that God keeps connecting me with these different people throughout the adoption world, throughout the sports world. That we're able to start bringing these voices together, and it's and it's and it's really excitement. It's almost like like Roe v. Wade was, and, and, and the Supreme Court's decision is being put right in the middle of this conversation, right when we're trying to promote private infant adoption. Uh, it's almost like he's, 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 he's giving the platform to go do that. So we're, uh, it's a very exciting message in, 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 in the dialogue. It's, it's interesting that the, that a lot of the pro-choice side of the world has been so against adoption. It, it, it has been interesting to me to see, um, that that there's been so many attacks on adoption and so much is being stirred up about it like it's like it's something bad or terrible which i find very ironic from from the pro-abortion group to try and, and attack that if they're really pro-choice you would think that adoption should be a choice uh not something that they would want eliminated but um uh, uh, it 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 kind of tells me that maybe we're on the right path that God wants us to take in terms of continuing to promote this. That that, uh, that adoption is getting attacked in all those different areas, but it uh, 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 it's stirring it up on all sides, and I would say overall it's been pretty positive. Do you feel like the uh, that that you're going to be able to? gained a little bit more toehold in some churches now to help them now that you're armed with, you know, some, some more stats and some more understanding to help churches really step into leadership with this. This is one of the things that's one reason I had you on here because I want to introduce you to as many pastors and, and counselors and so forth, because a lot of them listen to this program on how they can better help folks. And, and, and I have a two part question, but I'm going to start with that one. And then I'm going to come back to the other one, because this is something, if, if you could say anything to pastors, if you were speaking to a group of pastors, what would you tell them? That you can talk about adoption, that it doesn't have to get into the political discourse about, about the different issues. Our, people talk about open adoption like it's something new. The first open adoption that I'm aware of was Moses. I mean, here here was Moses that was here. Here's Moses that was adopted, and, it, and everybody acts like open adoption is new. Well, well, the Pharaoh's daughter hired hired uh, hired his mother to come and 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 work for. Yes, yeah, so that was really the first open adoption, and 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 it's a wonderful example. And I think there's a reason it was taught to us so early. So early in the Bible, and 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 was put there, and so I think that that, uh, that we've got some awfully good role models, and 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 people talk about as long as I'm talking about the Bible, people talk about guilt and shame, you know, around a birth mother. Can you imagine the guilt and shame that Mary had? 
you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, Jesus is another great example of adoption. And, and we've, we've got these, these terrific role models that if you think about where we are in our society today, we've got, we've got ministers who don't want to talk about abortion, right? They don't want to be in the middle because of their, of the politicalness of what's going on there. And, 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 and God has given us this opportunity that we can talk about adoption and we can talk about how that is, is, is adopting these children into families and how that's the same way that God has adopted us and, and being able to give these children an opportunity to get adopted twice is such a gift. And I think the churches can be, can be the key that bridges the two sides of this political fight. And I think adoption is a wonderful way for the ministers who don't want to talk about getting in the middle of all of that, can talk about the positives of that and give the light and and show the love that God really wanted us to show to one another. And that's, I mean, I love what you just said. I mean, I just love Moses. And I never even thought of it in those terms, but there you have it. When you are are working with mothers who go through this, and also sometimes by extension, families, a lot of the folks that I have on this program that are that are listeners in this audience are dealing with mental illness in their families or families with uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, and a lot of times because of those circumstances a pregnancy will arise and the family is distraught they don't know what to do they've got somebody who obviously has some type of chronic impairment whether it's through abuse or or alcoholism or drug abuse or mental illness and do you see a lot of that in in your organization with with the way you've talked about this around the country and so forth are you seeing a lot of this and what are your thoughts on that to help the whole family, because it's not just at that point, it's not just one individual. It's the whole family's dealing with somebody who's got a significant impairment. I think the answer is the same. I mean, when we're able to surrender to a power greater than us, it brings us all together, right? And so, um, um, uh, I, I don't see that there's a a uh, greater amount of dysfunction with the with the adopted children as there are with the normal society that's in there. It, there there's not a difference in our connection with the family is the same. There's no real difference between the two of whether you're adopted or whether you're not adopted. We all have struggle. We all have pain. And if we can turn it over to a power greater than us, we all get salvation. <laughs> Well, John, you have been a real blessing to have today, and I know this is going to touch a lot of folks. You've, you've brought some clarity to an issue that needs to be, like you said, brought back in, higher into the public discourse. John Knox, the optinstitute.org, optinstitute.org, O-P-T. John, I want you to know how much I appreciate you coming on today, and we'll look forward to having you the next time. Thank you, Peter. You're quite welcome. This is Peter Rosenberg, and we'll be right back. Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident, leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. 
I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. This is Don Shank with today's global update from the Tide Ministry, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide in the languages people were born to speak. Christians in Afghanistan are being heavily persecuted by the Taliban. In fact, Afghanistan was recently listed as the number one country for Christian persecution. So many people in that region are hungry for hope. Fortunately, the light of Christ shines the brightest in the darkest places of the world, and the Tide Ministry is more determined than ever to continue spreading the gospel in that region and sharing the hope of Christ with those who need it the most. Now that we're broadcasting in the two most prevalent languages in the area, Dari and Pashto, we're able to give even more people access to the good news, opening the door for them to place their hope in Jesus. To learn more about the Tide Ministry and read testimonies from people whose lives have been eternally impacted by hearing the good news of Christ in their own language, visit thetide.org. That's thetide.org. Do you see? Do you see? All the people sinking down Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? How can you be so numb Not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad that you are with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com I love that song by Keith Green. That subject, do you see, do you see, and it just, it just hits me every time I hear it. And I want to pivot just a little bit based on that song, if you'll indulge me for just a moment as we close the show. I do appreciate John Knox being here with us from the Opt Institute to talk about adoption, and I hope you found that to be a very meaningful interview. I, I know I did. But I want to address what happened in Highland Park in Chicago, and this is on the heels of Uvalde. This is on the heels of all the other shootings that are going on and and the fragmentation of our society as we see more and more of these things. I wrote an article in Fox News um, right after Uvalde, and there was a line in there. I just quote from that article. Right now, another grandmother watches a child with drugs and a grandson with severe emotional issues. Another sister's shame prevents her from seeking help from her abusive brother. And as politicians argue about guns, who will intercept these vulnerable family members and help point them to safety? In every case like this, it seems that the drama going on within that family is known, not only to friends, neighbors, and other family members, but oftentimes, and a lot of, most of the times, it seems like, to authorities. And people don't know what to do. People don't know how to act with it. And I get it, the, the rush towards having the argument over the Second Amendment and guns and the type of guns and all that kind of stuff and i get that and that's what politicians do i don't think you can regulate people who want to hurt other people this guy that drove a suv into 
a parade in Wisconsin. You know, he didn't use an assault rifle. There, there, there are ways to inflict damage. And yes, I understand the concept of, of bullets and high-capacity magazines and all that kind of stuff. As I watch this, I can't help but think how important it is for us to know why these things are happening and not just stop at how they're happening. And as the gun debate rages on, I, I desire, I wish that they would put as much of that same energy into the why. Why is this happening? What's changed? What's happened? There was a time in this country where kids would take guns to school, leave them in their truck, long rifles and so forth. Um, this was not unheard of. What's happened? And you look at this same demographic, the 16 to 21-year-old males for the most part, hyper-aggressive uh, with these atrocious, violent, evil things that they're doing. How did they get to this point? Do, do video games play a part in this? Does the violence and the, the degradation of life that is promulgated in our culture play a part in this? Does the, the recent study by George Barnett, we're going to have him on, uh, he just did the study that we talked about in the last couple of blocks uh, for the Opt Institute, where we're going to have him on talking about the decline in faith in this country. One of the alarming statistics in his new report shows the lower number of pastors who have a biblical worldview. Does that play a part in this? Well, of course all these things do. You isolate a bunch of young males who are having emotional troubles and poor family dynamics. And with the COVID and everything else, lockdown, we're, we're isolating these guys, putting them on computers all day long to play video games and other things. And then wonder why they go feral. And we wring our hands and think, well, let's just take away the guns. Well, if they're feral, they're going to go feral with other things besides guns and have that conversation. You know, God bless you. That's, that's fine. I'm not here to, to go into the weeds on that issue. I just know that there are so many family members out there, because I've talked to them, who are struggling with messed up kids. And they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. They don't know how to protect themselves or the child. They don't know what help looks like. And I ask you, do you think that we can just leave this to the world to figure this out? Are you comfortable with that? Are we going to just say, well, the people in Washington and our state legislatures and so forth, they'll figure it out? Or do we have a responsibility as the church to be elbows deep into this misery? Not just cleaning up the aftermath of it not just ministering to the victims and their families, but to step into it before this ever happens. And if so, what does that look like? And I go back to a woman who called this program whose brother was very abusive to her and her mother with dementia. He was a drug addict. 
and he had a criminal record. He had a firearm. And he wasn't supposed to have one. And I asked, why didn't she call the cops? I said, go ahead and call the cops. She said, well, I can't. That's when she broke down. She wasn't crying about anything else, but that's when she broke down. And she said, I can't. I said, well, why not? And she said, because I used to be a lesbian before I became a Christian, and he's threatened to tell everybody. Shame and guilt were keeping her locked in a place of fear. She was afraid to make the call because of shame and guilt. The scriptures speak to shame and guilt? Well, of course it does. That's why he went to the cross. <laughs> he bore all this, all this brokenness. And if we can speak with clarity into people's heartaches and give them the, the moments pause so they can catch their breath and make better decisions, not based on shame and guilt, but make the hard decisions. It's based on conviction and knowing that they're doing the best thing possible, which is to deal with this issue before it becomes a tragic event. This, I believe, is our opportunity as believers to step into this with great leadership great authority based on the word of God and do it neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend, family to family, radio show to radio show and keep saying the same message so that people know that it's okay for them to be safe. It's okay for them to make the call. It's okay to not be beat up and abused by a family member. And if you've got a kid that is really messed up and you don't know what to do, it's okay to raise your hand and say, I got a kid that's messed up and I don't know what to do and I'm afraid. There are people that can help with this. Start with your pastor. If your pastor blows you off, go to a, get a different pastor and then go get a different church, by the way, too. Because this is the role of pastor is to walk with families through this and to to let them borrow some of their courage to make the hard decisions. There's a an epidemic of mental health issues in this country. It's not going to be solved with anything that Congress does. So the vitriol that's spewing forth from the halls of power are not going to make our neighbors safe or us safe. And I go back to that Wonderful song by Steve Green. I'll go over here to the caregiver keyboard. People need the Lord. And we know this. We say this. We sing this. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. Can we effectively communicate this? Not just locking in on this individual whose behavior may be aberrant. Of course it is. But there's a family around them that are clueless, that are struggling, that know something is amiss. We're losing kids right and left to this. Are we providing leadership or are we just clucking our tongues and saying, 
Well, I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. Everything in Scripture communicates to me that we're all that guy. And the, the ground is completely leveled at the foot of the cross. None are righteous. No, not one. And so can we grab a hold of that in our own life and plead with those around us to, to seek help and to help them point them safely to it clearly so that they really understand what help looks like. They may not take you up on it. They may dismiss you or blow you off, but at least you've given them a fighting chance. We're not responsible for results, but we are responsible to speak into other people's heartaches because that's what our Savior did for us. This program is designed to help people stay strong and healthy while caring for someone who is not. This program is designed for the family caregiver to be able to catch their breath and take a moment's pause so that they can make healthier decisions in the midst of great unsettledness. What's happening across our country with these shootings and everything else is no different. We have a responsibility, we have an opportunity, we have the privilege of speaking that same gospel that sustains us into the lives of others who are in desperate need of hearing this same gospel. Thank you for your indulgence on this. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.